Hello, Lion Cook Nation. This is Ray DeLucci with the Lion Cook Thoughts Podcast. I hope you all are having a great day listening to this, and I just want to say thank you for the support. Uh, my last episode that I put out with Chef K Work went really well. I got a lot of great feedback. I'm glad y'all are enjoying our conversation, and I think it's very beneficial for y'all to hear what he had to say. And I was very proud of that con- piece of content because it was able to kind of go into a cool topic like foraging, but also kind of help people get set up for success if you're going through culinary school or if you're just, you know, in the industry and you wanted a different viewpoint. And so I'm very glad and grateful that you all took a lot out of that. Um, On this episode, this is actually going to be an episode where I touch a topic that was offered to me by an Instagram follower. Her name on Instagram is Sarah Buchanan7. And this is what she sent me, and I thought it was a really interesting topic. And through this podcast, I would like it after you listen to kind of DM me or share your thoughts on what you think about it. So here's a question she asked me, and I'm going to try to go deeper into it and give you my opinion. And as I said, this is my opinion on the topic. And if you have a different opinion, I'd love to hear it. But here we go. Hey, Ray, I've been listening to your podcast, and you've been doing a great job. I thought an interesting listen would be to hear your opinion on authenticity of food or being authentic with ingredients and cooking techniques. How important is staying authentic? If we stay authentic, can we not innovate ourselves with food? We discussed this topic in my ancient foods class and found it very interesting. We talked about such topics as why is it taboo for a French chef to open a Mexican restaurant, or even more taboo for a Mexican chef to open a French restaurant. We also talked about how most food is not even authentic because cultures have adopted other cultures' ways. Those are just some ideas, and I would love to hear your opinion about it. So that's basically what our conversation today is going to be about. Um, I also got the opportunity to read The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People by Stephen R. Covey, and I think a lot of what he writes about can be translated into our work as chefs and cooks, and I really wanted to give you my thoughts on that as well. That's basically what the episode is going to be about today. I have a lot of cool interviews coming up, and I'm very excited for the month of March and the content we're going to be putting out. Um, I'm fairly certain that y'all are going to enjoy the interviews. And just to give you a heads up, I do want to do some podcasts on my own still, but I do truly think the Line Cook Thoughts podcast should be about cooks. But as I said, I'm going to do a couple of these once in a while just to kind of give you my thoughts and my own personal feedback, because I know y'all are enjoying these, especially the ones on family meal and maybe anxiety in the kitchen. And those are topics that I wanted to do a better job, I guess, of talking about. And so I'm going to redo those topics a little bit later on. Um, But I think as I start to find my voice in podcasting and kind of start to find out, you know, the best way to convey these messages, I want to reach or re-talk about those topics, if that makes sense. So I'm going to be talking about those again. And I kind of want to do interviews about them as well, especially about anxieties in the kitchen. Um, But for right now, this is the episode we have. And I'm very excited to talk to you all about it. And as always, follow me at Instagram at Line Cook Thoughts, Facebook at Line Cook Thoughts, and Twitter, which I'm still figuring out at Line Cook Thoughts. Thank you. Okay, so how important is it to stay authentic? So um, I'm going to give my opinion and my past experience just because it's what I could speak best on. And I think a lot of cooks will agree. So as you all should know by now, I grew up in Buffalo, New York. Um, <laughs> a lot of my, obviously my friends know that. Uh, go Bills. But um, growing up in Buffalo, New York, and then going to the CIA, and being introduced to a whole other world of cooking, 
you definitely have a chip on your shoulder. And to kind of go back in time, so September 2015, I get to the CIA. And at that point, I really didn't know any chefs at all. I remember my second week at school, or my first week, it was one of the first two weeks at school, Enrique Olvera came and spoke to us. It just like, he just came to speak. He was visiting school and he got to speak to in my orientation. And I remember people around me like going like, oh my God, like the chef's here. And I would just remember sitting there like, like, who is this guy? Like, is he from around here? Does he cook around here? And that, it wasn't until later on when I looked him up and obviously a chef's table came out around that time. And I was like, holy crap, like this, the chef, you know, chef Overa just came in and spoke with us. And like, that's how naive I was going into culinary school. Because when you grow up in a smaller town, you don't really have those influences. And when you grow up in an area where food isn't, isn't as prevalent or it, it hasn't grown up as much as maybe like New York City or Chicago, you don't really get those types of experiences. And you don't, you don't really hear those names floating about unless you're really in the industry. And for me, I was a 17-year-old just going out and starting cooking in a hotel. And, you know, I learned a lot there. But there wasn't really a lot of talk, I guess, of the most innovative chefs coming out. And I don't know if it was, it was either because I wasn't paying attention and I was so worried about, you know, performing well because it was all new to me. But I just don't remember a lot of that talk until I got into the CIA. So when I got to culinary school, I learned who Thomas Keller was and... You know, I learned who great chefs like Charlie Palmer were, and I learned about new chefs like Renee Redzepi, who I've been talking about a lot on the podcast. Learned who David Chang was, who was a big inspiration of mine to start podcasting, and also just as a chef who really, you know, he cooks, he does podcasting, he does Netflix, like he's able to branch himself out and not stay in one box, and I really admire him for that. So that's kind of what I was starting to talk about, or that's what I'm starting to get into and then I started to learn about the Michelin Guide. So how does this all relate to authenticity? And I guess what I'm trying to say is, for me, if I were to stay truly authentic, I does that mean I shouldn't be going into fine dining? Because all my childhood, the most fine dining I ever ate at was probably Olive Garden or an upscale Italian restaurant in Buffalo. Um, so like, what does that mean to me as a cook? Like, Because my past experiences before the CIA were not like what I've had in the last three years of being able to dine at places at like single thread in California or being able to dine at Boca in Chicago and just all these great food experiences in between. What is authenticity for me? Because my roots are instant mashed potatoes and meatloaf, or it's going to be like, you know, mac and cheese out of the box um, or like a really nice pasta dinner my mom made, you know, or, you know, homemade pizza my dad would make, but, you know, nothing really crazy. Um, so for me, thinking about this question really, like, kind of made me think, like, a lot of us don't have this kind of fantasized background in cooking where you grew up and your family made all these regional dishes. A lot of you do, but, you know, there's a lot of people like me out there who didn't have this. You know, like, my family made good food. My mom's a great cook. and But we never, like, that was, like, she cooked... I guess to what the area cooked and we didn't, I didn't have like a grandma who was making, you know, homemade raviolis. My grandfather made a lot of homemade stuff, but even then, like we never had like homemade raviolis and, you know, I'm also Polish and a lot of traditional Polish food only came out at the holidays. So for me, like what are my roots exactly? And 
when I'm going in, when I was starting cooking school, I was, I felt kind of worried and a little bit ashamed because I didn't have these experiences that I've had, that all these other students had around me. These students had these crazy experiences where they already knew these chefs and they already knew these people and they already had read the books, the cookbooks from the French Laundry and Per Se and, you know, Noma, and they already knew about the World's 50 Best List. And here I come and I'm like, you know, thinking I'm, you know, I love Gordon Ramsay going into school. I still think he's a great person to look to as someone who kind of doesn't stay in one box. Um, but, you know, not really knowing the fine tuning of the Michelin Guide or not really knowing what the World's 50 Best was. I didn't know who the James Beard Foundation was. So, for me, what does cooking authentic mean to me? I think cooking authentic is just being true to what interests you and what has impacted you in some way. And in that sense, I think that a lot of cooks, if you came from the background I came from and you wanted to get into like fine dining, I think that's staying authentic to who you are because even though you really didn't grow up on that, it's what interests you and it's what it's what molded you and gets you into the kitchen. And I think that when you stay true to that and when you really get into the kitchen for the right reasons and staying true to yourself and like being doing what you want. I think that's about as authentic as it gets. And there's a lot of people and there's still a lot of, you know, groups out there who probably think that being authentic means staying to one region or staying to a certain way of cooking. And I think it's very important to respect tradition, respect where your foods come from and read up on it and be knowledgeable. There's nothing that impresses me more than going out to eat and like the servers knowing everything about the dish and the chef, having an exact reason as to why the dish exists on the menu. And it's not just to be on Instagram, but it's to, you know, fill the dialogue for something more special to that person who's created the dish. And for me, I think authenticity really comes down to, are you staying true to yourself and the ingredients around you? Are you respecting tradition yet also pushing yourself forward? And are you really just kind of doing your research and being very respectful if you're going into a new cuisine? You know, Sarah brings up a good point, like how it's taboo to kind of switch cultures or kind of if you're a French chef opening a Mexican restaurant or Mexican rest, a Mexican chef opening a French restaurant, you know, that example. I think that's kind of cool that, you know, you have this heritage, but you want to expand your horizons. You kind of want to pay homage to maybe a technique that taught you even more. And so now you want to pay homage to that culture. And I think the, you know, the mashups of cultures and restaurants is a really cool experience. You know, when I went to Single Thread, the French-Japanese influences ended up being, you know, it turned into being the greatest meal I've ever had in terms of eating out at a restaurant because everything was just so thought out, so well-respected, so cared for the courses, everything from the courses to the dishware, everything. And, I mean, I think that was an authentic experience, but it wasn't, in the sense, maybe an an authentic way of cooking or promoting food because at the end of the day... I didn't really attach their food to one culture or the other. It was just a single thread experience and it was amazing. And I think that's why they're so successful. And I think that's why, you know, a lot of the great chefs we look up to are so successful. I think of Renee Redzepi at Noma, you know, looking at Nordic cuisine and kind of getting into all of that, you know, he's being authentic to who he is, but how can, you know, like if someone's inspired by Nordic cuisine, why shouldn't they be able to go and branch out and try that? And I think, like, if you grew up in, like, for me, Buffalo, New York, and Nordic Nordic cuisine really inspires you, and you go over there to Denmark, and you really just kind of push yourself and get, immerse yourself in the cuisine and want to bring that back and do something fruitful with it, then I think that's great. If you're going there to copy Noma, 
obviously that's not what you want to do. You want to be your own person. You want to be your own chef. You want to put your own dialogue into the game. But if you're going there and then you want to come back and pay homage to what they've done or pay homage to the food scene and you want to give that experience to a new group of people. Like for me, I thought, I think if it was when I was younger and someone came into Buffalo and opened a restaurant on Nordic cuisine, I don't see any negatives in that. I only see positives because a, that's, you know, a new experience for me. It's a new educational foundation for me. It's a new cuisine that I've never heard of. And it really just shows me that there's other food out there. Um, when I was at the CIA, I remember Manit Chuan, uh, She's a chef. You've seen her on Chopped, and she's very successful in other restaurants. You know, she talked to me about her Indian heritage and Indian food, and she kind of talked to my class as a whole, I should say. And it just opened up to me, like, there's so much more out there than what I've known. And that's really why I love cooking at the end of the day, and that's why I love going to different restaurants and trying new things. And, you know, shout out to my friend Cam. He took me to this dim sum place in Chicago about a year and a half ago. And I, I, keep, I will always say, you know, so far it's been the best duck I've ever had. And it was so cheap. And, but the food was done so well and the flavors were so perfect and balanced. And everything just went so well together that, I, you know, the question of authenticity, like, that place is in Chicago. And, you know, they're, that type of cuisine is really far from the home that it was created in. And I'm, and I think it's important that you kind of, like I said, pay respect, but also branch out and move forward. And we can be chefs and cooks who look and scoff at people who might, you know, mash up cuisines and mash up different cultures. But at the end of the day, if they're doing it well and respectful, they're educating consumers on a whole nother place that maybe they never even heard of. And that's where the importance of food comes in with conversation like food speaks volumes and you know if someone who's never heard of nordic cuisine starts trying nordic cuisine you know they're like oh my god this food's so good they end up going there and they fall in love and that could be their future home for the rest of their life so food has a very powerful way of just getting people to different places whether they realize it or not and i think it has a very big role in where people want to like end up in life or what inspires them the most so I think being authentic means being respectful to a culture, but not necessarily having to be where that food was created. And in terms of respecting the past, you know, I think for the most part, a lot of chefs I look up to respect the past in a beautiful way. You know, the fact that Escoffier is still talked about so many years later, because he really did redefine what cooking meant with the brigade system, but his impact was more so much more because of actually looking at cooking as a system and looking at cooking as a philosophy rather than just some laborious job and realizing the important cooks had. And maybe he didn't realize at the time what his impact would be, but just knowing that he had to kind of switch it up and do something that would make this more sustainable as a more sustainable profession. And so when I see chefs kind of, you know, I think of Grant Ackett with, you know, his next restaurant and him going out and doing these older tasting menus to kind of show us what it was like. I mean, I think that's authentic as hell because not only is he going out there and kind of giving us what food was back then, but he's just paying his respects and he's paying homage. And while he could have done another tasting menu that, you know, went even deeper into molecular gastronomy, he 
went back and yes, he did have his touch on it, but he also did get inspired from what the past had to offer. And I think when you draw from the past, there's nothing wrong with that. I think, you know, getting dishes back from your childhood and kind of revamping them in a way is probably for me the coolest form of cooking and what I want to eat the most. I would, I think when you touch on food that impacted you greatly in your life and you kind of rework it and reshape it into a new dish, I think that's the best food cooks can make. And, you know, as a lot of people talk about seasonality and like seasonality is important, but if you've never worked with a certain ingredient before, then how can you relay that message? So I think really trying ingredients, trying different things and really getting to understand them before you use them and respecting your past experiences is how you kind of move forward and innovate. And I don't think innovation happens without kind of going out of your comfort zone. And that's why I think it's so important for chefs to try new things or young cooks, at least to try new things, try new experiences and always to be open-minded. And I always feel like there's a certain point for a lot of people in the industry where they get to a certain point and they're like, all right, this is me. But, and I feel like that's where a lot of cooks fail is they get to a certain point where they're like, all right, this is where I'm going to stop learning and start just kind of making my own mark. And there should be a 50, 50 balance where you're always learning, but you're also also innovating and making your own mark. So, I mean, for me, that's what authentic that's what authenticity means. And I think there is a big responsibility for chefs to stay authentic and respect the past, but not be afraid to venture forth. And in terms of terroir, I mean, terroir is a super important, you know, ingredient in itself. Terroir is something where you kind of can look at food and you taste the area and you kind of see where that food came from and when you have terroir you get something that you can't get anywhere else and so I do think authenticity is important in terms of regionality but like I said if you really love a region and you want to bring that region to the masses back in your hometown I think you should be doing that and I don't think because something came from a certain country that it's just limited to that country. And obviously, you know, I'm not going to find the best Italian food in the world in Buffalo. You know, I would love to go to Italy and see what it's all about. And my goal is to travel from time to time in terms of like going to see different foods and cultures. But when you're growing up and when you really have a limited worldview and you get new restaurants coming at you I think that's what's most important is education at first and you know a lot of people are like oh you should go travel and you should go actually get it from the country that it's from but what about the people can't that can't afford it and what about the people who aren't as interested in food as you are and that's where I kind of have my issue with the authenticity argument is there's cooks out there who are like you know you should just travel and go eat it at that country or come eat at my restaurant and there should be those mid-tier restaurants who maybe aren't aren't doing it as good as they could be, but they're doing it well enough where they're educating people and they're getting this cuisine into people's lives. And I think that's to be respected as well. And I honestly think like if you have a restaurant, your goal is to educate people through food or at least impact people's lives in a meaningful manner, like you should be respected. And you know, that's just my thoughts. And like I said, I'd love to hear your thoughts on it. And to have a discussion, but basically that's what I think about authenticity in food. So the example I kind of want to get into on authenticity that rings true to me is the buffalo wing. So the buffalo wing, those of you who don't know, or if you just want some clearance on it, buffalo wing is basically a chicken wing that's deep fried, 
And the sauce is usually melted butter or butter-like liquid and a vinegary-based hot sauce, usually a cayenne pepper sauce. Think Frank's Red Hot. And that's really it. And it's a really simple dish. But the flavors of the buffalo wing have been everywhere, like everywhere. And when you grow up in Buffalo, you kind of are like, oh, my God, like, when is it going to be? When, like, when, like, how much are we going to use this flavor? And you get it at Applebee's, then you get buffalo-flavored wing chips and pretzels and just oh it's it's everywhere right and for me for me I was a very much a food snob especially at culinary school I don't know why but it was just a stance I took where it was like um you never you can't like buffalo has the best wings you know buffalo will always have the best wings and you can't get them anywhere else and everywhere else is trying to do buffalo wings like what the hell are you trying to do and not only just like places like Applebee's, but also like places around the country in major cities, like independent restaurants that are just doing their own wings and draw from that. And for a while I was like, you know, this can't be true. Like this isn't, this isn't something that I want to promote or be proud of because it's not from my hometown. And I was very defensive and very ter- territorial about it. And as, a, and as small as it sounds, it's a big thing to me now looking back because if I should be proud that the Buffalo wing and flavors is are everywhere. I mean, it's so cool because, you know, yes, sometimes it is off putting when you're like, Oh, you're from Buffalo. And and the first thing people think about is wings or they think you're Canadian, (laughs) but, um, it should, I, I feel immense pride being able to come from a place where, a food, even though it's a chicken wing, is so recognizable as as recognizable as a city, if that makes sense. So, like when people think of Buffalo, probably one of the first two things they think about is either snow or the wing, and I think that's just such a cool piece of my like childhood or like my upbringing or what it means to me to be from there. Is that you're really I'm coming from a city that is resonates with one certain food. And if chefs or cooks around the world are trying to do this flavor, I, you know, more power to them. And I'm very proud that they're using these flavors. And I've had wings, you know, elsewhere outside of Buffalo that were delicious and compete with some of the wings in Buffalo. And I really, you know, I'll always have my favorite in Buffalo and I'll always have, you know, what I think a wing should be. But to see not only a wing, but the the Buffalo flavor of a vinegar-based hot sauce being applied throughout so many different things and becoming so popular, I think it's a great thing for the city. I mean, a lot of people, you know, I could look at it as saying, oh, you know, the Buffalo food scene is downgraded to just wings and beef on whack, which is a regional dish that if you're not from Buffalo, you probably don't know. But I think it's also great because everyone around the country at least kind of gets what a Buffalo flavor is. And it's actually been a way for me to kind of talk to people because I'm like, oh, yeah, I'm from Buffalo. You probably know, you know, know me because of our snow or the wings. And they're like, oh, yeah, I love Buffalo wings. And like that strikes a balance because then I can be like, oh, hey, like there's this great spot back home that like if you ever get there, you should really try. There's this great spot I had in this other city that you should really think about. And you don't realize when you're in college how something as simple as being from Buffalo and your city being known as a wing and thinking that was terrible because 
like I said, when I got to college, I had no idea what Michelin or fine dining was. And when I got there, I was like, oh, my God, I'm from the city of chicken wings. Like, how set back am I? But then I started to realize that, you know, that's not everything. And food really is a conversation piece. And it really has helped me make friends. And if you were at the CIA, like, you would hear me, you know, yell at other people from the area, go Bills. Or, you know, we would always talk about wings and stuff from time to time. And a lot of my friends are sick and tired of hearing the word buffalo because I love it so much and I've just embraced it so much. And, but like I said, for a long time, for me and my authenticity from coming from Buffalo, I was ashamed of because it was a chicken wing city. It's, it wasn't as glamorous as, say, New York or Chicago or D.C. with food. We don't have Michelin stars there. And we don't have any 50 best, world's 50 best list going there. But I was in cooking school. I was in my, oh God, a banquets class. And I had, I had a chef and basically... You know, he was like, where are you from? And I was like, oh, well, I'm from Niagara Falls, New York, you know, north of Buffalo, New York. Um, I spent a lot of time in Buffalo. It's not that great. And he stopped me and he's like, why did you say that? And I was like, what do you mean? He's like, like why are you not proud of where you're from? He's, I'm like, well, we don't really have the best food scene and it's always snowing and not many people like it. And he's like, but do you? And I was like, well, yeah, I mean, I love it. And he's like, so why would you downgrade yourself or downgrade where you're from? He's like, there's nothing more important than taking pride from where you're from, or at least taking pride in where you come from. And for me, that just like totally switched how I looked at my hometown. And after that, and you know, I never told the chef this, but after that conversation, it really allowed me to think and have pride in where I came from and my roots and kind of the experiences I've had. And looking back on it, had he not said that, I probably would still be a snob saying, you know, Buffalo wings only come from Buffalo and also being ashamed of where I'm from. But after that, I kind of embraced it. And it's a really big part of my identity and who I am. And to my friends, like I said, they're sick of hearing me talk about Buffalo. And a lot of them will probably skip over this part in the podcast. And I'm sorry if you do. But what I'm trying to get you all to understand is if you come from a smaller city or if you come from a place whose food scene doesn't have the repertoire of these big cities, don't be ashamed of it. Be proud of it. Be proud of where you come from. Be proud of who you are. Be proud of your experiences and just be proud of the fact that you don't have the experiences that others might have had, but you're going to get there and you're going to make it and you're going to, you know, I feel enormously blessed that I didn't grow up knowing who these chefs were because it's offered me so much reading and content and YouTube videos to watch and it's just offered me so much learning and learning at a time in my life where I can actually comprehend what it means and kind of how it shapes me as a cook and going out to find any restaurants to eat wouldn't be as special to me. I don't think if I didn't have, if I've had that experience my whole life. So really just coming from a city that you really don't have this type of cooking and cuisine and just getting to experience all this stuff at once was so exciting for me. And it's why I think culinary school is so important and so relevant because for me, the the biggest thing I took from culinary school were the connections and the experiences and the knowledge of knowing what else is out there in the world. And when you go to an institution that just focuses on expanding your horizons on cooking, nothing but good can come from that. And I really found who I was there. And I found out through that chef that like I should be proud of where I'm from. And I, I'm discrediting my family. I'm discrediting the people, friends around me by saying, oh, it's just a city. You know, and 
you know, there's things I don't like about Buffalo, obviously, but to be proud of where you're from and to be able to say, I'm from this area proudly with your head held high and just, you know, realizing that these are the roots you have and to not hide them and not to not show them. And I think a lot of young cooks going into school kind of, and I was one of them kind of want to seem like they're not from these places and that they're experienced and they have good taste. And, you know, you, you grow up in a society where, you know, you just, you know, acceptance is a big thing and especially in cooking and in kitchens because it's hard and it's tough and you just, you want to be a part of the brigade and the team. And for me, like what I realized is the best way to do that is to, is just to be yourself and to be honest and to be open to learn new things and to not lie and to not kind of show that you have the most knowledge and the best skills. And that was a hard lesson I had to learn is stop puffing your chest out and stop trying to be this impressive person because you, you're you not going to learn anything that way. And if you let your ego get in the way of everything you do in the kitchen, you're not going to form relationships with others and you're not going to really get everything you could have out of someone. And I've learned so much by just listening and acting or really just not knowing what was going on or not knowing about a certain topic and being humble enough to say, Hey, like, what did you mean by that? Or what is that restaurant? And I remember like the first time I asked one of my peers who Thomas Keller was, they were like, are you, are you joking? And, but my friend was so kind after that, you know, it wasn't like in a way that was like, you know, like how could you not know him? But it was like, you know, like this guy's so big, like I need to tell you about him. And now there's so many people I've met who are just like, this thing is so important to me. Let me tell you about that. And that's why I've started the podcast is to get this authentic look into the lives and minds of cooks. And so when you start to listen and start to just kind of put down your own ego for a second and just open yourself up to being told what another person's insights are, you gain so much more knowledge, you gain so much more insight into their life and their world and ultimately through their cooking. And so to go back to authenticity, I think being proud of who you are and being confident in your abilities and confident in what you're going to put on a plate is the biggest thing. And I think without the confidence of knowing who you are and knowing what your roots are, you don't have a solid foundation to stand on. And I think after a while, it's just all going to come toppling down. And I think if you look in the most successful restaurants in the country, it's people who have, they know who they are and they work their ass off to get to the point where they're the best at what they do. And if you don't know who you are, and if you don't know what you're doing as a cook, you should take time and revisit that. And I, and it's not going to happen overnight. It took me a long time to re- to be proud of where I came from in the terms of cooking and to be like now where people, when people ask me about Buffalo, I say it's a food scene that's, you know, really blowing up right now. Like we have a lot of great restaurants in Buffalo and then you get people who scoff at you and like, Oh, like, whatever. But it's true. There's a lot of great chefs in the city I grew up in doing their best and making excellent food. And, I think there that's the case for a lot of cities. You know, I hear you know, I talked to Ryan Peters. His interview is going to be out, but he's a chef based out of Pittsburgh, and I didn't know the Pittsburgh food scene was as great as it is becoming. And you know, Dallas is a city that's emerging or that has a great food scene. And there's so many cities out there that I think are just growing because chefs are being authentic to who they are and just really embracing where they come from and realizing that there's not just three cities that they have to be tied down to. So I think authenticity and innovation go hand in hand. 
with the fact that you stay true to yourself, but you also push forward into new boundaries. And that's my take, and that's my example with a Buffalo wing, going back to it. Now, I'm proud to come from a city that's known for a chicken wing because I come from a city that's known for food. And I come from a city who developed a flavor that has made successful entrepreneurs millions of dollars, whether it be in food that I like or don't like. And, you know, to call that place home and to call Western New York home has been a big thing for me that I'm grown fond of and proud of. And, you know, if that chef in culinary school had not said, you know, why aren't you proud of where you're from? I don't know that my life would be the same. Um, You know, so thank you to that chef, uh, Chef Riley from the CIA. But, you know, you got to have those moments where you are, you just look at life and you're like, you know, are you doing it for yourself or are you doing it for others? And what are you trying to prove? And I think when you start trying to prove to yourself and start trying to cook for yourself in terms of like respecting yourself, but also trying to please others, that's where the most success is to be had. Or when you take a career path that you know you're doing what's right for you and also helping others, I think that's where you're going to be most successful. And I think when we stop, when cooks stop, going for things like awards and start going for, you know, fulfilling careers and fulfilling jobs and doing what you really want, regardless of if you get a star or get put on a list, you know, which is all great. And I have so much respect for people who get those things, but there are going to be cooks who are doing amazing food that will never get recognized. And I think realizing that and knowing that and knowing that you know you're going to be recognized by your cust- your guests your customers everyone who comes to your restaurant i think that's the most important thing and when you have that recognition and that realization you really can't fail too much so that's what authenticity means to me shout out to sarah buchanan seven for the topic and like i said i love talking about your ideas and i'm excited to hear what you all think of it but that's really what I think on what being authentic means in cooking as being a chef and just being a person in general. All right, y'all. So now I'm going to, as I said in the, in the intro, I'm going to start talking about the book I read, The Seven Habits of Highly Successful People. I'm not going to give you like a, I'm not going to give you a summary of it. I'm just going to give you some lessons that I took away from it that I think really do apply to what, chefs can do as leaders in the kitchen. Um, if you hear pages, like right now, like if you hear pages, you know, going through, that's me just flipping through what I jotted down and highlighted. And I think, you know, I let me know if this is helpful to y'all. Because if it is, I read a lot of leadership books and I also read a lot of cookbooks. I read a lot. And if you would like me on these episodes, where it's just me to kind of give you insights on the books I've read, whether it be a business book or a a book focused on cooking, I'd be more than happy to do so. Like right now I'm reading Salt, Fat, Acid, Heat, and it's been amazing. And if you want me to talk about what I took from it, I'd love to. So just let me know if that's something you're interested in on Instagram and whatnot or Facebook. But yeah, let's get into it with this book. And this is going to be a conversation. Um, like I said, I have notes jotted down, but it's not really as structured as maybe my other conversations. So yeah, just let me know what you think. Uh, something new I wanted to go into, but if you all end up not liking it, then we don't have to talk about it. But um, so his first habit in this book is be proactive. And how true <laughs> in a kitchen sense is that? I mean, being proactive 
shows that you're willing to take initiative and shows that you're able to be, be more responsible than the person next to you. And I think that's a big thing in the kitchen is after a while you can kind of get in the sense of, Oh, like, do I need to do this? Especially with like cleaning or with like taking on larger tasks or more meticulous tasks. It's like, Oh man, like, do I have to do this? And I think being proactive shows that you're shows your first off your want to be in the kitchen. So a perfect example for me is when I was working with my chef Ross, who I got to interview, um, seeing him, you know, when he was cleaning or like when lines got dirty, he was always in the dish pit cleaning or washing dishes, or he was always sweeping the floor. Like he was proactive, even as a chef. And I think for me, that's kind of what instilled in me, like, you know, all right, so I'm going to scrub down not only my line at the end of the night, but go scrub down the hot line at the end of the night too and help with that. And just being proactive and realizing that, yeah, you might have a station during the shift, but at the end of the day, the kitchen as a whole, and you know, you should be helping your, your coworkers get the job done. And for me, I was on garbage station and I would finish first and I would get clean first. And then, you know, you go to the hotline and help scrubbing. So being proactive shows initiative and it also helps you build relationships with others because then they can start to trust you more. And trust is very important in the kitchen because it, like I said, it gives you more responsibility, but it also clicks in other people's heads that, oh, I can trust him with this task. I can trust Ray to do something more, you know, meticulous or harder than someone else because he's very proactive and he's going to take the time to listen and to kind of, you know, take feedback well and improve on it. And I think that's a big thing. Being proactive doesn't mean rushing to do something without knowing. It's about taking the time to really listen and learn and get involved and really just take initiative to be fully invested in something and then doing it. So that chapter, that habit was very big for me um, because, you know, he just goes into details of you know, like one of the things like I'm, I've jotted down, like the haves and the bees. And he talks about, you know, if I had a degree, if I had more obedient kids, if I had a more patient husband, like those are examples that he puts in the book. And for me, it's like a lot of people, a lot of cooks that I know or that I've seen, like sometimes they can be like, you know, if I only had a better staff, if I only had a Michelin star, if I only had better ingredients. But then there's a proactive cooks or chefs who are just out there just doing it, just getting it done and realizing that you, if a staff's working for you, you have the ability to affect change in that position, in that role. And all you have to do really is be proactive and, you know, show them the right things. But I think being a leader in the kitchen, especially as a cook who is not in a leadership role, being proactive and being a leader in your own right helps you succeed and excel faster because anyone really can learn how to cook. But it's the people who will push themselves to be a leader and show and lead by example. Those are the people who make it far. At least that's what I've seen in my time of cooking. Another habit, begin with the end in mind. I think this was an important chapter for me because I sat down and I thought, you know, what do I really want out of my career? And I think as cooks, you know, you're rushing to get to the best restaurant. You're rushing to get into like the best position and you're never like really thinking far ahead. You have, a, you have your goals and you have your dreams, but you never like really sit down and map out. All right, so at the end of my career, what is, what do I have, what is it that I have like, would want to accomplish? So I think a big thing for cooks is taking like 10 to 20 minutes and just, just like sit down and just think about at the end of, the, end of your career, when it's all said and done, what will you have wanted to accomplish in that time? 
you know, do you want to be the first chef that gets awarded, you know, stars for a certain cuisine you're proud of? Are you, do you want to be a authority in public speaking for cooks? Like, what is it that you want to leave behind on the industry? And I think if every cook took the time to do that, they'd be able to prioritize and do better at work because then their goals align with the work they're doing and it just makes everything you do more meaningful. So I think just sitting down and kind of planning out what your career may look like or what you want to leave behind on the table when it's all said and done is very important, especially when starting out. It's a scary thing. And then you might realize that, you know, the road you're taking right now isn't really in the long term what you want. And maybe the road you're taking is what others want out of you. And I think it's very important to realize what you want. So sitting down and truly thinking, you know, fantasizing, like what at the end of your career do you want yourself as a chef to look like? And I think that's an important conversation to be had with yourself. And I think it just opens up dialogue that you probably wouldn't have had anywhere, anytime else. So just, I think you should, me personally, I think every cook should kind of have that, you know, talk with themselves about it. Um, next up, uh, we're thinking win-win. So this is habit four. This was very interesting to me because there's a lot of paradigms in the book. You know, there's win-win, there's win-lose, there's lose-win, there's lose-lose, there's win, and there's win-win or no deal where no one really gets, you know, no deal is like, okay, so a conversation or a deal didn't work. So we're not both not going to go ahead with it because it's not fair. So for me, for example, a win-win would probably be, you know, me helping you get your prep list done. So I get done early so, and I know you're struggling. So I'm going to help you get your prep done. And in turn, for me, I gain, have gained your trust. And I've kind of gained, as as Stephen Kobe likes to say, some cash in your emotional bank account. And so, like, when you do acts like that where you're not only thinking about yourself but others and how both can gain, you know, it's something very important. And there's also – you know, the cooks out there who are very loose when where they just do stuff for other people without thinking about the end gain and return. And it's not about being selfish, but it's also about, you know, how can I grow and help this person grow at the same time? Or how can I gain and also have this person gain? Because at the end of the day, you should be moving forward in some way. So thinking win-win is a big thing in the kitchen because when you get into competitive kitchens, a lot of people are just thinking, you know, win-lose, where they win and another person loses. And I think a lot of our society is set up on another person has to fail in order, in order for you to, to succeed. And in this book, it's just the realization that there's enough really for everyone to go around and be successful. And just having that mind frame and just being like, all right, this is the lane I'm in and I'm going to be successful and not worry about what other people think about me or what other people have to say about me. And when you kind of get into that mentality where you can help others succeed and also succeed and don't see it as see it as like one pot of gold at the end of the road, your ability to work with others becomes better and your ability to kind of see others' viewpoints becomes better. And when you're just single-minded and you have tunnel vision and you're like, I'm just going to succeed and no, everyone around me is going to fail or lose and I'm going to be better, that's where you really start to fail. And I, for me, I wasn't truly happy with being in the industry until I started to realize that others should succeed with me. And that means encouraging others. And, you know, for me, it meant starting this podcast and realizing you know, if I want to be successful, I should be helping other people be successful too in some way, whether it promotes them or it gives them an opportunity to meet a chef that they want to work for. And at the end, it gives them the confidence that me as a podcaster and as an Instagram person, I guess you would call it, has the ability to do that for them. So they trust me and they 
give me their attention and they give me their time and their thoughts. And in that sense, I'm learning. And it's just this evolving cycle of everyone gaining and learning. And that's where I want this community to be. But I think in the short term, being in the kitchen, when you think win-win, thinking how can I help myself and also help another person to succeed? When your team succeeds, there's nothing bad about that. When you as when you, your team as a whole succeeds, it's only good. And you should want the best for everyone around you because that in turn lets them want the best for you. And that's how doors open. So that was probably the biggest lesson I took from it. And then finally, seek first to understand, then to be understood. And I think in cooking, you know, there's a lot of people out there who – you know, I don't think we talk enough in this industry to the point where we're trying to understand what the other person might say. And I think especially with chefs, like there's a lot of chefs either in school or at work where you try to explain, you know, when you mess up, you explain how, try to explain how you got there. And they're just like, no, 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 no. This is what's wrong. This is how we're going to fix it. And there's almost no time for that. And I think there's something severely wrong with that because if the chef would only listen for 30 seconds as to maybe how you got there, you can not only fix the mistake the person made, but kind of switch their thinking of, well, this is the reason why I told you to do it this way. And the best chefs and leaders in the kitchens who I've worked with have shown me, you know, for example, I might think something's dumb because it takes longer, but there's a reason for it. And there's a reason, like when I was in cooking school in high school, that you don't slam a door when stuff is baking because it collapsed the bakery product and I ruined someone's product for that. And for me, I was like, you know, I'm just going to slam the door because I think I look cool. But my chef was like, no, you take the time to let the door close gently so you don't ruin someone else's hard work. And if I would have just been like, if he would have just yelled at me and not given me any feedback, you know, he wouldn't, I wouldn't have learned that lesson. So I think for first seeking to understand goes a long way also in life, just like listening. I don't think we as a culture listen as much as we need to. So just listening and understanding and empathizing first and then being like, all right, so that's how, that's what you thought. That's not that bad. And realizing that when people make mistakes in the kitchen, it usually isn't because they hate you, you know, and a lot of people react that way, but it's because they honestly made an honest mistake. And I know in high stress kitchens, you know, there's always the excuse, oh, well, we're so fast paced that you can't make mistakes, but people do. And I think chefs who don't accept that it's not a sustainable way to coach. It's not a sustainable way to teach others. And the places I work there, I've really enjoyed, you know, people listen and they coach and they explain what went wrong when you make mistakes. And I think seeking to understand how why people made those mistakes helps you better the system that you're working in. It helps you better the environment that you're surrounded in. So that's my take on the seven habits. If you're in the industry, I suggest you read it. Not, you know, you really, there's no mentions of really cooks in the industry, but it's just a great book. And in general, I think more cooks should read leadership based books or business based books because it's an important aspect. And, as much as you being technically proficient in cooking is important, so is being able to lead and talk with others and be able to have conversations and empathize, empathize with others. So that's my take on the book, and I would love to hear your thoughts on the lessons I gained from it. So as I do with my solo podcast, i just like to shout out some of your thoughts and kind of go in more depth on them on the podcast as a whole. So uh, pulling from my Instagram, I'm just going to be scrolling through and like looking at the the thoughts that made me think the most. Um, so uh, here we go. So this one comes from at Kimchi Desu. I'm not sure if I said that name right, but um, it was actually a post that I put up um, recently. And it says, I love this industry because I have the opportunity to re- reconnect the guests with their childhood. And I really think this relates to our conversation today because I think cooking from your past experience is great, but also being able to 
hear like, oh my God, this dish brought me back to my childhood with my grandma or my mother or father when they were cooking. And I think that's such an important role as chefs that we have and such a great ability that we could have. And I, that's about, for me, that's the best compliment. Regardless, when someone tells me that, that's when I'm the most happy. Um, so, I mean, I think that's an important reason to get into cooking. And I think that's a really good viewpoint to have that you have a responsibility um, or at least you have the power to do that for someone. This one comes from at Chef JDZ. Uh, this is JD. I used to work for him. Shout out to him. Work with him. Sorry. He says, sometimes a fresh start is all you need to recharge the batteries and rekindle the love that was once lost. I think we've all been there. I think we've all at a certain point have been burnt out and frustrated and you just need to make a change in some way, whether it's outside of work or at work. And I think when you make that change and, you know, you get that spark reignited, um, there's nothing like it. And I think that a lot of cooks get stuck in this rut. And if I feel like sometimes you just have to take a step back and recognize what's going on and realize, hey, maybe this isn't working out for me. And there's no shame in going somewhere that's going to make you feel better or just trying something new because you're interested in it. So thank you for that quote. I think that's a great way of looking at it. Uh, let's see. We're going down here. Uh, this one's coming from at Brittany McCormick. And in this industry, you are never bored. There's always something interesting and new to learn. I truly believe that if you stop learning, you're dead. So I wanted to be in an industry that I would never stop learning. I love what I do, and how could I not? This is perfect to me because this is also relating to our talk today is you should always be a student in cooking, and you should always be someone who is learning and growing from the people around you and the food you're creating. And I think if you stop learning and stop having int genuine interest in expanding your knowledge, that is when you truly become stagnant. And, you know, like that's not just in cooking, but in life in general. This next quote comes from a Angie Peters, and she says, Repetition is so important. I become fixated on mistakes, big or small, and I'm constantly critiquing myself and my work each day. Executing anything less than perfect compels me to try again. I'm never done learning, improving, and practicing. And working on a line allows me to pursue this idea of constantly challenging myself. Uh, big shout out to her for her opportunity in Spain. Um, congrats on that, but thank you for sharing. And I think it's important because repetition at the end of the day, only way you get good at cooking is practice and repetition and doing it over and over and over again. And I think that's one of the honest things about cooking that no matter where you're from, you can appreciate because you know that if someone's really talented, they've had to practice that over and over again. And thinking back to when you started in the kitchen, yeah, there's people who are really talented and may pick it up faster, but no one's ever great at cooking until they practice it and really honed it in. And you can have a natural sense. But I think for me, like, so this is kind of a nerdy point, but I'm really into Star Wars. And, you know, please don't turn this off because I said Star Wars, but it's my favorite movie of all time. And a big, my favorite character is probably Obi-Wan Kenobi. And this is nerdy as hell, but for him, you know, he was one of the greatest Jedi masters, but he was not good. And if you like go into his lore and his background, he had to work 10 times harder. And he was like that person in the Star Wars canon who showed up earlier and left the latest. And he like was not gifted at all, not natural at all. And he just became good through excessive practice and repetition. So for me, that was always like a big thing that translated to cooking. Like even if you're not great at first, you can always just become better by practicing and repeating what you once did. And as nerdy as it sounds, I think a lot of people, a lot of great chefs are like Obi-Wan Kenobi, where maybe they weren't 
as great as first, but then they kind of formed, you know, that repetition and that goal of getting better, and over time they did. Um, moving down here, let's see. This is a quote uh, shared by at Katie Lynn Branson, or Caitlin Branson, I think. I, I hope I'm saying that right. And she said, it's a quote from David Chang, and he says, I don't think there's any chef that is born great, like in music or in sports. You have to burn yourself. Messing up makes you a better chef. And this ties in with a quote before that, how, you know, when you mess up and when you make mistakes, that's how you learn. And when you keep repeating, you know, on getting better, I think that's truly how you become better. So thank you for sharing that quote. This is from an anonymous cook, and I thought this was a really interesting perspective on cooking. And a good amount of people responded to this person's question, and I'd love to hear more thoughts on it. But basically, this is what this person asked me. How can you flip your brain from let's get shut down as fast, well, in as few words as possible to tell me about your day? When getting home from a long shift, one of the hardest things about working in the industry is maintaining close relationships with people that have never worked in the kitchen and don't know what it's like. They're upset when they can't spend time with you. They don't understand why we work such long hours, why we're willing to sacrifice our social lives to do this job, or why we would want to risk burning, chopping our hands off because they don't have the same passion to do it. We stay in this industry not because it's easy, but because we love to do it. I have so much passion towards what I do at work that when I don't feel as passionate about a person or plans I had, I deem it not as important as working an extra shift. Does anyone have any advice for how I can separate the no bullshit chef in me to being a sensitive, caring person at home? I think realizing for me personally, this is my advice, having a separation is key. And when you get home, it's hard. It's harder said than done. But when you get home, realizing that I almost look at life outside as it's not like work. I don't know how to exactly say it, but if when you get home, you have to be just as attentive as if you were in, if you were in a kitchen, you know, you have to be aware that like you should, you can't take things outside of work for granted, like family and friends. And you know, you're going to miss a lot of social functions. You're going to miss a lot of birthdays and holidays. But at the end of the day, when you do get time with these people that you cherish so much, making the most of it and, you know, yeah, I think it's very healthy to talk about work and complain about work, but there should also be some dialogue about their day and, you know, maybe their interests and then just some things in general, some time where you're watching something with that person or you're just spending time with them that doesn't include food or cooking. And for me, that's very hard because I love food so much, but finding that balance and kind of, you know, realizing that the time you have with that person is so limited, like why would you want to make it a negative experience? And it's hard to do. And I empathize and relate to this person who shared it and if you have any advice you know share it on the instagram i'd love to put it up on the story um but thank you that was a that's a great quote um all right i want to do one more uh quote and then i think that'll be it for us uh let me see Hmm. (laughs) you all send me such great quotes and it's just hard to it's hard to pick all right here we go this is from at darling pastries And it's, I love baking because it is therapeutic for me. I can be having a bad day, and just by baking something as simple as cookies, the whole day would magically turn around. It brings a calming peace, and it makes me so happy. I think this is a cool quote, because at the end of the day, for me, that's what cooking is all about. It's about therapy. It's about doing what I love with my hands, and just really just being immersed in a recipe, and not really worrying about anything else in the world. And it kind of contradicts sometimes with you know what others want from you but there there are those moments especially like for me like when I'm at home cooking and it's just myself and I have music on it's just peaceful and I don't have to worry about anything except 
making sure this piece of pasta turns out right. Like later on, I'm going to go make uh, tortellini and annulotti, and I want to get the shapes right on the pastas. Um, but just knowing that that's my only worry in the world right now is it just it's comforting. And I think when you're at work and you do that for a living, it's comforting as well. And through all the stress and through all the pain and sadness and excitement, at the end of the day, knowing that there's a certain part of your day where you're making something and that's all you have to worry about, knowing that there's that window there is very comforting and it's very nice to have. And a lot of cooks I've talked to, you know, love prep work because all I have to do is worry about, all I have to worry about is peeling a carrot or brewing an onion. And there's something very therapeutic in that. And I think that's why so many people are drawn to cooking. So there's, those are the thoughts that I'm sharing, you know, keep sharing as always. Instagram's at 1,500 followers. Uh, we're growing. I, you know, like, thank you for following me. I say this every podcast, but truly it's an honor to be someone who's helping you all get your thoughts out there and connect. And a lot of exciting guests coming our way in March. And I'm just very excited in general for the conversations to be had. The new people who are following or listening, thank you for joining us. You're all a part of the Line Cook Nation. And yeah, I have a lot of exciting plans for March, a lot of great interviews. Um, And just very excited for the direction the podcast and the page is going in. And it's just been nothing but positivity. And I've been most... In terms of the internet, it's such a it's a place where a lot of hostility can happen. But I think the community we have now, knock on wood, is very positive and very embracing and accepting of others. And we do share our pain, and we do share what can be wrong sometimes. But we're very open minded, and the group of people we've kind of brought together are very open minded. And it's very comforting to see everyone out there that wants to have an open dialogue about things such as being stressed in the kitchen or you know, struggling to maintain a personal life outside of work. And, you know, it's just, I don't think y'all, I, it's very important what we're doing. And I truly believe what we're doing is going to have a big impact on the industry. And so just thank you for that. And thank you for taking your time to listen to this. And thank you for sharing your thoughts because without it, you know, we wouldn't have this community. So just always be open-minded, always be there for each other. And thank you once again for listening to this podcast.